Welcome to Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we're going to talk about generation gaps and generational diversity, which is becoming in the marketplace and in workplaces a little more complicated even than ethnic diversity. So it's something that since you and I have a big uh, generation gap between us. Mm-hmm. Um, Very, so, a huge. Yeah, since we have a huge. man and a boy. <laughs> Uh, we will be able to explore this gap together. But first, mm-hmm. it's story time. We open up every episode with a story or a joke. And John, it's your turn. Yeah. First, a little disclaimer. We mentioned last time a series on the uh, relationship between non-Christian culture and uh, and Christian culture. We're going to talk about that still. Uh, we just felt more passionate about this one in the moment. So we're going to continue that series later. But this week, we're going to talk about generational uh, challenges. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so story time. So when I was reporting for the uh, Bellevue Reporter, an internship that I had uh, when I was at Northwest, um, I uh, got this story, it was a, a human interest story about this boxing ring um, that was teaching at-risk teens how to box. This, oh. uh, a um, school resource officer would work with another officer in Who's Bellevue. Who's a police officer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, they would, um, you know... Find at-risk teens or, or, or teens that were maybe hanging out with, with tough crowds, and they would refer them to this officer. I'll name him because he's actually he's a great guy. His name is uh, Craig Hanaumi. He's a Hawaiian guy. Uh, really, really cool. He's called the Skateboard Cop, I think. He's got a pretty big uh, Instagram oh, wow. following in, uh, in Bellevue. Anyway, um, he would uh, take these guys to this uh, boxing gym where you could they would teach you. Uh, you could have classes for free, quote-unquote. The, my source in the article, who the story is about, uh, said that that nothing nothing they did was free because they had helped set up, tear down. They worked really hard. Um, but basically, so this guy, I won't name him because it's it's uh, he he's the point of the story. But uh, I I came in this this whole thing is about uh, not judging a book by its cover. Oh, okay. So I walk into his office and um, this guy's in a, a tracksuit. He's got his hair slicked <laughs> completely back. And uh, on his desktop is a pinup girl wallpaper. Oh, really? Yeah. Is he Italian? He looked like he. He would sounds be. Italian. He look. I expected him to have like a New Jersey accent. Yeah. You know, and like yeah. yeah. He's even got the chain. He's got the gold. Oh, chain. gold chain mm-hmm. on his. Uh huh. And uh, this guy, although thick hairy chest, like a lot of black hair on his chest. He was zipped up. It wasn't. Oh, okay. He wasn't indecent. Oh, know? the chain was on the outside of right. the, of the tracksuit. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The tracksuit. So, um, of character. He is what I expected. He's he's kind of he's rough around the edges, and not of, not in a, like an immoral way. I'm oh sure, sure. He, just, he seemed really stand up. Yeah, he really cared about these kids, uh, but he didn't. You know, uh, he didn't mince words. But but the 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 shocking part was his clarity of speech was nuts. Uh, I've I've done a lot of reporting for my age. I'm not you know some uh, like veteran reporter, but. Of of all the sources I've talked to, he's one of the clearest, most concise talkers I've ever interviewed. It was so amazing. just a really sharp communicator. Yeah, sharp like, communicator. Knows what he thinks, knows what he wants, where he's going, exactly. got plans. Exactly. No Projected outcomes. Yeah. Uh, perfect enunciation. It was something else. I was kind of blown away. The So you there, look at this guy and you think he's going to, you know, tell dirty jokes or something. Right. But and here he is, Mr. Sharp. I think he used a curse word with an asterisk. He said, you know, pardon my French or something like that. But, right, right. 
Um, I wonder why the French take all the abuse for profanity. Like, pardon my French. Why? Why is profanity always, you know, categorized yeah. as French? Maybe because that all that all the these like French words sound so like scandalous or something. Mm. I know, like like rendezvous is an inherently sexy word. Yeah. Know? So it's like regardless of whether you want. That's it to true. Be, you know. Pardon my French. We're gonna have a rendezvous. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's why that uh, flight of the Concords song. Yeah. Yeah, Fuda Fafa, I think is what it is. I don't know that one. What's the? That's uh, not important. Anyway, it's not important. Anyway, so uh, yeah, so you got it. You learned. I can't judge a book by its cover. Yeah, because this guy. Because sometimes, I mean, most people, I think, you know, this is an interesting conversation about. This is probably even generational too. Is we, we're going to start blending into our topic. He was here older to, to put it in the topic. He was probably uh, late forties. Okay, um, you know, older. Pardon me, older than me. By, by yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> nice recovery. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I think one thing that all human beings do is typecast. So sure, we we see somebody and we start making assumptions about them based on how they appear to us. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, the difference is maybe older generations of people make no apology for that. <laughs> <laughs> Where younger people think we're not supposed to do that, mm. but they still do it. Sure. I think uh, we learned again about this. I feel like I talk a lot about my education. I'm not trying to brag. It's just, it's this most recent era of my life. So yeah, most of my yeah. stuff comes from there. Uh, in my communication courses, um, it's this, there's a thing called expectation violation theory. And the mm. whole point of this course, that's only one theory in the course. It was called com theory. Um, the whole point of it is that you have, uh, uh, notions about things constantly that you might not be aware that those are even notions to have. Uh, so expectation violation theory is this guy. I expected, uh, you know, the New Jersey mobster tracksuit, right, right. And I got Shakespeare with some hair grease, you know, it's like. Right, so, so he violated your expectation. Right, and that's a positive. There's such thing as a positive expectation violation, regardless of the the, the name. Yeah, um, but there's negative ones. Most of, most of them are spatial. Yeah, uh, like like if you're if you're too close to me, there's an expectation I have of our distance based on our intimacy mm. and you know stuff stuff like that. Um, but but my point being that it seems to be very natural to have um, judgments of people before you speak to them. And I think it's a part of our design, and I think it's part of our um, defense system. I was going to say it's also it's smart. Yeah, you know that's yeah. that's how you that's how you alert yourself that uh, danger might be present. Exactly, and I, and clearly there's a line of that where yeah, uh, if you're assuming um, moral or ethical standing of people, and based on things you know, based on race or yeah. or, or <laughs> you know, you know, I have I have a I've had friends in my life who mm-hmm. who want to violate this reality and then be furious that people are judging them, Hmm. that people have expectations about them. So, um, you know, they, they dress a certain way, say they dress like a gangster. Sure. But then they're bothered that people treat them like they might be a gangster. (laughs) And, and I'm, I'm I'm scratching my head because they're like, you can't judge me, man, by how I look. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, but you're looking that way on purpose. (laughs) And, and what are you going for there? You know, it's like, it made me think of the, the old Bud Light commercial where the guy, uh, him and his wife are driving in a dark country road and there's a hitchhiker there, um, with a hockey mask Mm -hmm. (laughs) and a chainsaw. And Bud Light. Oh, yeah. and the, the guy pulls over to pick him up, and she goes, 
But he has a chainsaw. He has, but he yeah, but he's Bud got Light. Bud Light. He's probably a really nice guy. Yeah, maybe it's a can opener. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I think I think that um, as an old guy, I'd be curious mm-hmm. about your perspective on this. As an old guy, I, I, you know, and this can blend into sexuality, all kinds of things, but why would you dress a certain way, present yourself a certain way, Mm-hmm. And then be offended that people perceive you in alignment with the way you're presenting yourself. I don't. Well, I don't know if I see anything wrong with that. Like Larry the Cable Guy wears a cut off flannel <laughs> shirt because because it's what he's it's a character, right? Right. It's, right. He's, he's expressing, and that, that becomes a caricature, right? Yeah. But if you if you dress like Larry the Cable Guy and you don't want to be treated like you like might Larry be the Cable, Larry the cable, cable guy, guy, right? You know. So I I think I agree with you, and and on the much less caricature side of that. How you dress is just self-expression, right? If you, right. If you want to be artistic about it, Most, uh, a lot of people just dress for comfort. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Like um, now, is this an old guy thing? Because like my whole thing about dressing, mm-hmm. I just want to be comfortable, and I want my I want nothing about my appearance to be noteworthy. Mm. So when somebody remembers me and they think, "What was he wearing?" I don't know because it was so nondescript. Sure. So I don't want to be fancy. I don't want to be uh, um, disheveled. I don't want to be. I just want to be nondescript. I want to be vanilla. I could I could see it being an old guy thing that you're not trying to express yourself with how you dress. It's more of a means to an end type yeah, thing. Yeah, uh, I can see that. When I've tried to dissect my own wardrobe, and I think a lot of it is um, uh, kind of like stereotypical masculine. So like. Like flannels with the beard, you know, yeah, it's, its, yeah. Own, it's its own neat, uh, yeah. uh, like like type. Well, and the glasses, and then when you were in college, you got that corn cob pipe, yeah. <laughs> and you were going for this whole thing. I didn't really. Understand. I wasn't walking around with the pipe. <laughs> that stayed on my desk, and I just—I have a couple of pictures of you with the pipe in your mouth. You asked for a picture. I yeah. remember this. Oh, okay. I got it on Amazon. You said, okay. "You say, can I see? Can I see the pipe?" I said, sure. <laughs> uh, anyway, that was confiscated from me in Northwest. Yeah, uh, so that that's contraband, man. You I can't know. you can't do that. Can a I Christian know. have a pipe? <laughs> that's <laughs> its own episode. <laughs> uh, All right, let's get into the yeah, generational yeah. thing. We kind of farted around here for quite some time. I mean, we still we kind of talked about it today. Yeah. Mostly, we, what got us on this is we're talking about vocational, um, generational stuff like ethics in in the workplace and uh, um, things like this. So, so what do you notice as an employer? As a boss, yeah. Um, what do you see differences between um, you know Gen X and Millennials, or however you want to however you want to put it? Yeah. So I think you just set a landmine for me and said, "Hey, Dad, just step on this." Uh, <laughs> this so, is just. I'm not asking for opinions. I'm asking for observations. Okay. Well, my observation is that, and this is what got you and me saying, "Hey, maybe we should have a podcast about this." Mm-hmm. I have my entire work life believed that if my boss asked me to do something, the answer is yes. Before he even mm-hmm. finishes asking the question, if it's inconvenient to me, if it means I got to stay over, if it means I need to change plans, if it needs to come in on a day off, my answer is always yes. It has been my whole life because, um, I'm a, my, my, my view of being an employee is I want to outperform every expectation. Mm-hmm. I want to become indispensable. You will notice uh, in economic downturns when people are getting laid off, 
guys like me never get laid off because you make yourself indispensable. Sure. So when they gonna when they got to cut the workforce, they're not cutting their highest producers. They're not cutting, you know. So I want to be the guy they don't cut. Yeah. And also, I want to excel. I want to go further in my career. I want to. I want to. I want to impress. I want to get promoted. I want to have opportunity. So mm-hmm. this has been ingrained in me since I was mowing grass as a twelve year old kid. So when I see. Um, the new day workforce say, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stay an extra two hours a day. Cause I got plans mm-hmm. or I don't have plans. I just don't want to be here. You know, I told you I would work this many hours. I mean, you hear this. Sure. Uh, my shift is from, you know, eight to four and I'm leaving at four. That's cause that's what I signed up for. I don't sure. owe you anything past four. And it's kind of this, owe you not owe you what's entitled, what I'm entitled to, or what I have a right to. And it just boggles my mind. I I don't get it. Well, really. So, what what where I differ from you there? So you you've told me that relayed that to me a few times. The uh, whatever your boss asks you says. Yeah. Um, my my thing now has since been um, with with uh, tension of duties. So you have a duty to your uh, spouse. You have duty to your boss. You have duty to any any of your obligations. Right. So say you have uh, plans with your spouse that have been laid mm-hmm. uh, uh, previously, and then your boss asks you something in contradiction to that. I can't imagine why you would say yes to your boss instead of your wife. You know? Yeah. So unless it's yes after this, but yeah. that's not a true yes to what they're asking. Well, what I would what I would say in in that kind of scenario, I think is, um, hey. I'm happy to do this. Can I do it after my date with my wife? Um, or can I do it? Can I come back and, you know, work another shift? Mm-hmm. Um, or if the answer is no, this is, this is urgent. Like the last three, the three guys who are going to cover this have all called in sick. Like it's either you do this or it isn't going to get done. Mm-hmm. Then I reach out to my wife and say, Hey, is it okay? Can we move our, can we move our thing a few hours? I'm going to move heaven and earth if I can so that my employer is not sitting there with an empty hand. Like Hmm. this can't get done. Sure. So um, it's interesting. You know, Sue has said our whole marriage, she would say, I have concerns and worries in life, but being hungry and poor is never one of them Mm -hmm. because she knows that if I have to work three jobs and sleep two hours a day, that's what I'll do. This work ethic has caused my wife, who is my highest priority under God, to never be afraid financially. Sure. And so some guys would say, I work hard for my family and they're just workaholics and they got plenty of money and they're, you know, but that's the the the, the good side of this is my wife has security economically because she knows I'm not going to quit working. So So the other side of this. This might sound kind of flower childy or something. <laughs> um, so if you're, say you have complete financial faith on God, right? You're tithing, you're, you've mm-hmm, been completely mm-hmm. you know, honorable with your, with your giving. Um, that shouldn't really enter the equation, right? I, I don't mean, understand the question. Well, you don't want to get fired, obviously. But if, if you're, when you're weighing these options, like say, say 
Well, let me ask you a question. Your, hold on, hold on. Oh, okay. So reschedule with your wife. Say no to your boss. Oh, I see. Vice versa. Yeah. yeah. When you're when you're wrestling with that, should the financial part even enter the equation? No, that's I'm not doing that for a financial reason. I thought you were so that you so that you don't get fired. No, I'm doing that because um, I feel like I'm I that I have a relationship with my employer. Mm-hmm. He hires me um, to serve him, and um, my job is to is to meet every need that I can meet within whatever's, you know, legal and appropriate (laughs) to expect. Sure. So, um, so I, in my view, this Mm -hmm. is a good way to describe this. In my view, everybody's job description has a little print at the bottom that says, and any other duties as assigned by your boss. (laughs) And that's the way I believe my job is. So it, it doesn't matter what duty he asks. Hey, there's dog poop out in the front of the yard. Go, can you go scoop that? Yeah. Can you clean toilets? Yeah. Well, I thought I was the district manager. That's okay. The toilet needs to be cleaned. I got it. Um, it's to me, it's a humility. It's an honor. Um, it's a work ethic. It's a it's a dignity mm-hmm. because I believe that the law of the farm. Now, this is one of the things that um, is ingrained in me, and maybe this too is generational. I absolutely believe that when God says you're going to reap what you sow, He means it. And so when when I sow into my boss, um, hard work, um, willingness to to do more than asked, that I'm going to also reap a reward, a fruit from that. Mm-hmm. And so it's not altruistic like I'm going to just die to myself for my boss. <laughs> right. I mean, I know that this is how you win in life. Sure. But so so may, a frustration that I could see my generation having is that when we uh if 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 an employer did not go above and beyond in a specific example the automatic assumption is oh they're just lazy they just want to put in the time that they agreed to and then go home where really in that example of um stressed mm-hmm. uh ties uh and responsibilities that wouldn't be a laziness that would be a conflict of of uh of duty well, so, so there there have been times in my in my uh, previous job where I where I said no to a request because of uh, laid plans. Right. So, uh, what I thought you just uh, dabbled in was mm-hmm. um, the job might be smaller. Like if you're working at McDonald's, this is where I thought you were going with this. Oh, so that a smaller job you should you could treat less like yeah. less. Of a is big that deal. what you were no, saying? No, I'm saying that. It's frustrating that the assumption is laziness when really it right. might be other you know stuff like in this specific example it is i, I and i and I'm gonna plead you know guilty as charged i I view that either as laziness or as lack of ambition hmm. so so the only time this is irritating to me, sure is when a person says no. Like I've asked them twice over, say, a six-month a six month period. Twice I've asked them for something extra. And both times they said no because I'm ready to go home and my shift ends at four. Okay? Right. Um, I will never ask them again. And that person is never going to be considered for promotion in my business. Okay. And the reason is because they um, – well – let me what I was what I was starting to say there is that when this offends me 
is when they operate that way, but then get then they cry foul when they didn't get promoted. Sure. So, <clears throat> well, I didn't. I do everything you asked of me. I came from nine to four. You at you hired me from nine to four. I've been there every day from nine to four. Mm-hmm. But that guy got promoted. Yeah, because that guy said yes when I needed him. That guy wouldn't let the ball hit the floor, even if he had to work overtime for it. And gotcha. you've refused overtime because overtime's not required. I don't. I don't have any problem with any of what you're saying. No. No. Uh, that makes sense. That's uh, like you're saying, it's reap what you sow. Um, I guess so. So this seems to be. I was thinking about this. I have. I have a coworker who's really into this. Um, I get. I guess he. He has very specific values on things with in regards to how he wants to spend his time. So he would rather spend uh, 25 to 30 hours a week at work and do with very little mm-hmm. and spend a lot of time with his family. Yep. Uh, and, and I think I've noticed this and that that is a very wholesome version of it. A lot of my generation, it's it's spending saving money to go traveling and 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 uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's the beauty of this is. You know, uh, one thing I admire about this younger generation is I don't live to work. Mm-hmm. I work to live. And that's unusual for me. And I, and this may be generational. To me, work is life. And so <clears throat> when, um, when I was an air traffic controller, when I did sales, it doesn't matter what my job is. Mm-hmm. You know, my job was a big part of my life. It's It's a big part of where I live. And now there's this thinking that, um, I don't live for the job. I do the job so that I can live. And so if I want to travel, if I want to, um, have adventure, if I want more time off rather mm-hmm. than more money, right? if I want to, uh, telecommute, even if it pays less, uh, those are, that's awesome that those values are being chosen. <clears throat> One of the things I wonder Who's going to cure diseases? Like if everybody has this, <laughs> this work ethic, mm-hmm. if everybody says, uh, screw it, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to change the world. I just want to make enough money to play. Right. Where are the next like yeah. genius? Who's, who's going to start solving real world problems? Mm-hmm. And this kind of speaks to the question of, can you have it all? Because, um, you know, the guy who's curing diseases, the guys who are inventing stuff, um, that are changing the world mm-hmm. rarely have work-life balance. Sure. Right. Yeah. I, so for me in my head, the very stereotypical like nuclear family dad is like kind of the live for the weekend. Um, but they're sitting on in the lazy boy watching TV, right? That's the cartoon version. That's the Homer right, Simpson. Right. Right. Is unambitious, but they do the nine to five. They're, mm-hmm. they're the guy who doesn't get promoted. And then they, they go home and, and watch TV. So, I don't know if that's ne- that part is necessarily gener- generational because mm-hmm. I feel like that that uh, that archetype has existed for maybe forever. Yeah, you know. But I see, I definitely see what you're saying. But you don't see any problem with the the working to live mentality. Well, I mean, um, I wonder if you if you'll regret like when you start popping out kids and mm-hmm. life gets more expensive. How are you going to adjust in real time because you haven't got this runway of having built up a life, uh, a career? So mm-hmm. I think there's a collision that will come eventually. With that ideology. Yeah, because at some point you're going to need more than that life will give you financially. Um, so that's just more of a, a prediction than a, ju- a, a value judgment. Sure. 
Um, <clears throat> I think, you know, we, we keep talking a lot about work. Let's shift the, the subject just a little bit culturally and, and laser in on um, these generation gaps. I, I was thinking about, um, there's a, a gal in our church who told her story. Um, she was born in uh, Russia mm. to a German family. Then the Germans invaded. She migrated then to Germany. This incredible just story right through World War II. Her brother dies of sickness. They live in immigration camps. Dang. They they come over to Ellis Island. Just this, this incredible story. Mm-hmm. Well, when that's your story, okay, so if you're born during the Great Depression, mm-hmm. You have these values kind of ingrained in you. Work hard, save everything, don't throw anything away. You know, those worn out jeans, you could use that denim to fix something later. Sure. You know, yeah. <laughs> there's these values. And and um, it seems like when I was thinking about the generations, mm-hmm. um, say the last four or five, there's a ebb and flow of uh, conservation and... Um, reserve mm-hmm. and then loose and free and then another conservation so reserve. like free love 70s and then now we're back into that and then and then maybe a conservative 80s and 90s yeah 80s and 90s was about building big businesses and everything's big box and you know blah. and now and we're back into now we're back like into a, a, a sexual revolution let's just love let's yeah let's sure. let's live for the adventure and and how this rhythm goes but wherever you were born in one of those and or or your developmental ages mm-hmm. is going to shape how you see the world. Yeah. Then you have, um, you know, parents in my generation made a critical mistake and they put their child on a throne in the middle of the living room and said, <laughs> we are all here to serve you. <laughs> I've heard that parents of my generation did that too. That's what I mean. And so, uh, Oh, you, you mean you, I, I made that mistake. I see what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My generation. I thought you were saying your parents. No, my parents did not parent that <laughs> right. way. I've heard. Yeah. 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 And so, uh, you know, that changes a whole mindset of, um, of a deal. And I think that, that, um, the effects of that style of parenting might be seen in how, um, those what you're saying about uh, the attitude towards the the boss or towards the um, going further than you've agreed to is there seems to be even though uh, the millennial generation has been accused of being really dependent mm-hmm. on uh, and and you're leaving the house later and that's all statistically very true um, but they I think they value really heavily independence and um, personal um, personal worth like kind of like the um, uh, talk like 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 rights things things that are owed to you and and yeah. and uh, a high and, sense of value and also, some of the, and some of those things is from the workplace like it is owed to me that I have my time right, and my time right. is worth a lot so so that kind of um, uh, the negative word is um you know entitlement, entitlement. exactly yeah. yeah yeah and and but conversely they're you know super smart incredibly creative problem solving. Uh, the the genius of the millennial generation and the one after that I don't know what that was called I think they're just Gen Z for now yeah. I'm sure they have some but, name. Uh, the I generation man there's just so much uh, smarts and creativity and innovation and um, collaboration you know really wanting to be apart together let's do stuff together mm. so many so many strengths 
So I was, I, 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 I thought of, I've got a short list of things Mm -hmm. that, um, that I think reveal a generational difference that concern me. Okay. Okay. So, uh, the first obsession is speed that everything's got to be fast, fast, fast. I want it right now, right now. I mean, if Mm -hmm. you're, if your computer has a, little spinny thing, <laughs> you know, for more than whatever seconds you're like, you want to throw it against the wall. Yeah. Um, and so this, this, uh, this abundance of speed carries a nonverbal message that slow is bad. Hmm. And it turns out that slow isn't bad. Slow is important. Sometimes slow, sometimes slow is better. Um, and, so, so some context. What do you? What exactly you mean in the workplace specifically, or just generational? No, I, I just mean the way the culture is. So, hmm. you know, we want everything fast, and right. you know, millennials want to change the world, and they want to do it by Friday. <laughs> sure, <laughs> right? Yeah, and and you want to be in the top of your career by twenty five. Yes, yes, yeah. But but slow is not bad, and I want, um, you know, um, a lot of things need slow to get really strong marriages for example hmm. uh, they get stronger the longer they go and so slow is not a, a destruction another one is um entertainment there's just so much entertainment you sure. never never uh never stop being entertained by a screen uh, a show mm-hmm. um podcasts, uh, you know, whatever, just yeah. constantly, constantly, constantly entertained. And which gives the idea that boredom is bad. Hmm. And there's uh, some neurological studies about how the brain needs boredom because in yeah. boredom, you will start to create. Well, we're talking about um, this cyclical um, peaks and troughs thing about the parenting styles and the conservatism and liberalism. I think another part of that is, uh, is people on a smaller scale in the generation um, with technology millennials, there's a huge movement now of people leaving social media mm-hmm. uh, specifically in my generation. Um, and I, I anecdotally, I don't know numbers on this, but when Facebook really picked up, it was majority people 40 up, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and the early adopters there was kind of inverse. Like the, the previous right. generation really clung to it. And so uh, I think a lot of it is just personal realization of uh, how strangulating these things can be. Mm -hmm. And over time, um, I don't know if we're going to get to like, you know, apocalypse preppers out in the desert that are, you know, 20. I don't know if that's going to be the case. Uh, But people kind of realizing what you're talking about and uh, and changing the lifestyle to to allow for more slowness or more more silence. Yeah. Yeah. Another one is convenience. You know, everything's convenient. We need, we, we mm. convenience food, convenience shopping. I click online and I can get it. Everything's convenient. And if it's not convenient, I'm not going to do it. Man, even grocery shopping right now is such a chore. Oh. And it's the easiest thing in the world. Yeah, but now you can click and, you know, know, pull up and just, they load it in your car. You don't have to get out of the car. That's crazy. And because we live in the Pacific Northwest, I get to sit in the car and that poor 15 year old girl has to load the groceries in the back of my car in the rain while I stay in dry. Hopefully they're paid well. I don't know, but but it's a convenience thing, mm-hmm. which again the edge of that is hard is bad, hmm. and actually hard is not bad. Hard is good, but um, 
when you want everything to be convenient, you avoid hard. Sure. And so um, it feels like there's a generation that's avoiding the hard. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. No, I could see that. Then um, uh, two more that I was thinking of. Uh, one is nurture. This idea that, um, you know, extended adolescence, we're, we're, we're nurturing and protecting um, where um, we want our kids to never hurt. Mm-hmm. So we want to put them in a, wrap them in bubble wrap. And, <laughs> you know, we want them to never hurt, never suffer, never go through a hard thing. And, and the idea is that adversity is bad. Sure. But adversity is what builds character. And so, you know, is the goal of your life to, to be really safe or is your goal of your life to live and to develop and to grow? But for this, this again is kind of a statistical um, enigma. So it's a, it's a, almost a chicken or the egg situation where you wonder, is it the uh, not getting married and more or, or less social because of social media, the, the, the less person uh, personable, what's the term? Uh, we use Oikos, but I'm sure there's a, a more public public term about just your sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, generation before us, the sphere was a lot bigger because you had to talk to people face to face. You know, even phones, you know, you could do, but not cell phones. And there's a there's a bigger interpersonal sphere, and that is way shrunk down this generation. So mm. um, it's that not marrying early, not getting into your careers quickly, mm-hmm. college debt. All of these factor into that extended adolescence and parental nurturing. And so you got to wonder which comes first. In that, in that causation. Yeah. So John, you're, you're 20, what, what? 23. I could do the math. No, I got it. I'm I'm not offended. All right. So, (laughs) so 23 and I'm 57. Mm -hmm. So what do you most want out of life? 20, 23 year old guy. I don't mean today at 23. Right. In in life. What what do you want most out of life? Hmm. Honestly, right now. I would just like to to impact something. Mm-hmm. I would like something to be different than it was because you was because you did something. Yeah, and, and and with my personal inclinations, I would like the the kingdom to be, to be moved um, in a noticeable way. I know that's vain, but that is the that's the truth of it. Okay, so you want to make a difference? Yeah, yeah. That's pretty good. I'm, yeah, I think that's a millennial thing. I think that's and I, I love that. You don't, and you don't think your average person of your generation at 23 would say that? Well, I think a lot of times when I was 23, people were talking about how, how old they were going to be when they made their first million. Mm. Um, it was about it was about world domination, but not about world improvement. So, uh, sure. you know, I'm going to conquer the world, not I'm going to change the world. Yeah. And I really like, I love that drive to make the world a better place. I think that is a millennial or younger generation uh, heartbeat impulse. Well, that might be part of that sensitivity you're talking about. That that type of entitlement kind of uh, sensitive thing. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, you know, the story is told of this guy goes, he, he got my age, <laughs> goes to Mexico on vacation, mm-hmm. you know, and um, he um, falls in love with the, the Mexican culture. And, and he's got this fisherman who takes him out fishing. Mm-hmm. Him and his wife go out on this guy's boat. And he's a he's a professional fisherman. 
And uh, the guy's just great at fishing. And he says, uh, <clears throat> tell me about, you know, he's so impressed with this guy, the, the American. He's, he owns a business. He's like a, he's like a driven business guy. And he's impressed with the fisherman? Or and he's, impre- he's impressed with okay. this Mexican fisherman. Gotcha. And so he says to him, um, man, you, you are really good at this. Uh, t- how does your day go? Tell me, walk me through your day. And he said, well, I, I get up in the morning and uh, uh, love on my wife and have some breakfast. And then I fish for a few hours and then I have lunch and then I take a siesta <laughs> and then I. Uh, this is a true story? Or yeah. Is okay. Yeah. So, so I, I take a siesta, then I, uh, then I fish a little more and then I uh, play music with my friends. And then I make love to my wife. <laughs> and he's, ah. Uh, and he says, not uh, bad. yeah, not bad. But you know, um, you're so good at this fishing thing. If you, um, you know, if you saved up some money, you could buy more boats and hire more fishermen and grow your fish business. Mm-hmm. And then you could just really multiply this thing. And he said, and then what? Well, then you could uh, hire more boats. And grow it even further. And then you could start exporting your fish. Well, then what? Well, then you could grow this business large enough that, um, you know, you could maybe retire early and have this this financial deal. Siesta for the rest of your life. And uh, then then you could relax. And he said, well, what would relaxing be like? He said, well, it would be like you get up in the morning and have breakfast and (laughs) love on your wife and... Yeah, you know, fish a little bit, <laughs> have lunch and take a siesta and play music with your friends. You know, it's like this full circle. This guy's right. living that. And he's saying, well, you need to work hard for a long time and then you can live that way. Yeah. I think that's kind of a generation gap because um, there's part of me that says, what do you mean you want to travel Europe for six months? Mm-hmm. You got to earn that. <laughs> you got to you gotta work first, play second. Sure. And there's a attitude of, no, I can play now and work later. Yeah. I think it could be a, a blessing in disguise, but part of the, uh, being as high strung as me and Lindsay can be about, uh, finances and such, uh, we don't necessarily, we don't necessarily have that viewpoint. Um, you know, I, I anticipate working for a very long time before we take long siestas, uh, such as a trip to Europe, but, uh. So so here's here's a this is I I don't I, I think maybe I need therapy. <laughs> yeah, so I hope you're not gonna so, figure that out right now on this podcast. Well, you know, so uh, I just hit me. Mm-hmm. I'm 57. Let's say I've been working in the marketplace 37 years. Let's just say since 20. So let's say 35 years. In 35 years of work. Do you know how many times I've used all of my available vacation for a given year? No. I'm going to bet I haven't done it four times ever. Really? Yeah. And um, and so I'm instinctively shocked when someone uses all their vacation time. <laughs> right. It feels like an entitlement attitude. Hmm. And I know I'm wrong about this, but I think this is a generation gap. To me, you work. Yeah. You know, it's what you do. You work. Well, what if it's about, so we, we, we touched on this probably pretty consistently, but just about value allocation. So like Kafka, 
the the writer um i forget even what era and what place he lived i thought he lived in like russia in like the 30s but i'm probably sounding like an idiot anyway he wrote like the metamorphosis and he's just a classic literature author but he died very not famous and he was a accountant or a banker for his day job and he called it his bread job mm. he said this is what i do to, to get bread and then i can go home and write and he was notoriously depressed, and his books really show it. I don't even like him very much. But uh, and why are you? What, the what's point, your point? The point's the bread job. So he he lived for writing. Yeah, and he did whatever he was doing for the money. I think he worked for his father-in-law. Uh, anyway, and he, that was you know hmm. close to hundred years ago. So uh, maybe he was born in the thirties. I don't really. It was a long time ago. Yeah. So maybe that's not a generational thing so much as a what do you want out of life. Which which probably has a generational slant to how you answer the question. Sure. And, you know, you have now where everybody wants to be entrepreneur. They want to run their own business. They want to they want to be master of their own life. Mm-hmm. And um, or they want to have a job. That was what you were saying. I want to I want to make an impact. Yeah. And if I can make an impact through my job, that's a that's the lottery. You know, that's. um. So I got a question. This one's a little more big picture. Okay. But talking about generational differences, um, I've long thought that from where we are now, clear back to um, the wicked generation that Paul writes about, clear back to Abraham, that humans are all very much the same. We haven't mm-hmm. changed a whole mm-hmm. bunch. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Because, you know, Solomon writes, or uh, uh, sorry, he, he has a lot of stuff too, but um, uh, there's this quote about, all this generation does is seek comfort and they, Oh, and Socrates, it's Socrates. Exactly. So, so how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think, I think that, I think that, um, those who are ignorant of history are doomed to repeat it. So I think it's important for us to know our history, but I also think that the human, um, the human experience is on replay. Um, Solomon said, "There's nothing new under the sun." Mm-hmm. You know, it, <laughs> that was that was like three thousand years ago. Yeah, there's nothing new under the sun. It, though the things that we battle with, we've been battling with since the beginning. Um, I don't think you're. I don't think you have to get past about chapter seven of the Bible before they start having laws about having sex with animals. <laughs> so this sex crazy world, it's been sex crazy before. That you, is, that was gold. <laughs> <laughs> stand up material. <laughs> well, what I mean is, you know, human depravity yeah. is is pretty. It's, it's, it's not new. It's, a, it's not new. And yeah. I think what we do is we react. We react to what we were raised with. We react to what we saw, mm-hmm. and we just keep bouncing around like a pinball. And so I do think that, um, by and large, there's nothing new under the sun. But it is interesting that the cycles take so long mm-hmm. that it feels brand new. Yeah. And I I saw this uh it was actually it was it was played for comedy but I think that it's really true that it was said uh basically hard times create people who make good times to create weak people who make hard times to create mm. strong people who make mm-hmm. good times. You mm-hmm. know, the the circle. Yeah. That there's probably some truth to that. But then because I was trying to play it and I was like really like if you think about it American history the golden generation outside of World War 2 and they create, you know, the economic boom. Uh but then the cycle kind of falls apart there. I don't know if it, because we haven't had really hard times since then, except for the recession in 2008. And that was, you know, uh, 60 years yeah, after uh, I, after World War II. I read somewhere that, 
I believe your generation is mm-hmm. going to be the first one since the Great Depression that is not capable of out earning your parents, hmm. and that is going to create uh, a crisis. I could see that, um, but aren't we also in like an unprecedented explosion right now? Right? Yeah, we're going to have a massive amount of retirements, and so the workforce is going to change. My generation, or baby boomers, okay, that's what I think. I, I think that's where I fall. Baby boomers called the baby boom because uh, seventy-six million births in that in that window of time, and the busters, the way they're called busters, only forty-six million. Whoa! So thirty million fewer Holy people smokes. in that one. So. When this, when the boomers all retire, there's, there's not going to be enough people to replace them. It's going to be, it's going to disrupt the the work environment, especially if millennials quit having kids. Right. So there's some weird things coming, and those those all ebb and flow. Uh, I want to finish, and we're going to take a commercial break here for a second. What I want to come back to and finish with, John, mm-hmm. is what, um, and I want you to speak to um, the older generation. Mm-hmm. How could um, what could you, um, how could an older generation person contribute to your life? Hmm. And, um, and what encouragement would you have to someone who's older? Sure. And then I will do encouragement that I would have to someone who's younger. Okay. That sounds great. And so we can maybe uh, encourage people to move this gap toward each other because, uh, I think there's enormous value mm-hmm. in intergenerational relationships but they're not natural we we tend to cluster you know birds of a feather flock together blah 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 so uh, it's not natural to cross to blend generations i think it's actually more natural to demonize the other side as you you caused this problem look what i got to deal with yeah vice versa yeah so um i think there's incredible power if we can blend generations so we're going to talk about that in just a second so Today for our commercial break, I have one request, and that is that you, um, okay, two two requests. <laughs> um, whatever you're listening on, whatever uh, podcast provider platform, mm-hmm. subscribe. Please. Um, please. Okay, I have three requests. <laughs> uh, first, subscribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, write a review or do the five stars, the three stars, whatever it is, you know, do a review. And then third, if you like the podcast, recommend it to someone you on your Facebook or Instagram or social media, or, um, just, Hey, tell somebody, you know, that would really help us a lot. We just want to expand our reach and, and help as many people as possible. So that's our ask today. Um, subscribe rate and recommend. I'm going to throw one more on there since we're asking, okay. we're asking all kinds of favors okay. already. Uh, send us feedback on the website. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, you can either email us at uh, info at jimandjohn.com. No H in the John. No H in the John. Or there's a uh, a comment uh, section on the website as well, if you prefer that way. But any kinds of uh, questions you have or... Things you'd uh, like us to talk about. Yeah, feedback. Way we could improve. We'd yeah. love to hear it. Yeah, we'd love to hear it. Okay, John. So um, the generation gap, they call it that because it's very real. Mm-hmm. We do avoid each other. We cluster uh, by generations, typically. Um, what's one thing you would say to older guys mm-hmm. um, about that? I think, so, so if I were to request something of them, okay, um, it would be 
to maybe try and give the millennial generation a little more credit for for just the where we, just where we find ourselves. So there's a lot of uh, differences, way more complex than I have a hold of, in just um, going to college. What it's cost me to go to college. What my how my degree is actually worth less because of the degree saturation. Uh, specifically where I live, this is probably more of a regional problem, but it's hard to get housing. You know, you at my age had already, you were, had a kid on the way or already had, had Julie mm-hmm. and were living in a house in your career. Mm-hmm. And uh, just with the state of affairs, even with all the, the um, uh, blessings that me and Lindsay have had from our parents and our upbringing, uh, there's no way we could afford a house right now. And we have the student debt. And so things are just different. And uh, we're really trying and it seems like there's not a lot of credit, not specifically you, but just in the in the national kind of mm-hmm. attitudes. It's a lot of. Um, yeah, I heard somebody uh, say the other day, "Well, blame it on the millennials. They blame everything on the millennials. Mm-hmm. Everything's our fault." And uh, there is a chip on the shoulder of millennials thinking that uh, there's a disrespect, there's a sure. lack of appreciation, and and I, it's probably more than likely true that uh, that is a vocal minority. That that makes you assume that the majority believes that you know you know a lot of uh, maybe frustrated older Twitter users or something making <laughs> making millennial jokes and then you think oh you know something like that but that that's probably what I would say um, and then really because it goes both ways then millennials blame their problems on the generation before them so uh, I guess I would I would request that you maybe take the first step out of wisdom with your with your experience. Because I don't think millennials really are going to going to try and cross that bridge very very much. Um, so so if you're seeking, also take the first step toward a millennial, yeah yeah. Uh, if you know one, I'm not saying go for one on the street and be like, hey, shake my hand or something. You know? <laughs> uh, but for for oh my lucky stars, a millennial. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How do you do, ma'am? <laughs> uh, in efforts of restitution, you might need to take the first step uh, just because. Uh, there is now a, restitution. Yeah, I mean, not like uh, am I using that right? No. I don't know. It, it made me say, it made me think of uh, what's the political term they're all saying now? You know that we need to make reparations. Reparations. Yeah, you don't you don't mean we owe reparations, do you? No, I mean just to to settle whatever conflict or okay. or perceived yeah. uh, baggage there is. Yeah, I think there is a, an arrogance or a chip on the shoulderness of millennials, maybe just because with, with youth. Um, so you're, so let me see if I get this right. You're saying to the older generation, Hey, there's a gap. It's real. Mm-hmm. And you could help us close the gap by moving toward us and having some, um, having some, um, compassion or sympathy for the challenges that we face. Cause they are unique to us. Exactly. Those yeah. challenges are, uh, there, it's not that my generation didn't have challenges. We just had different ones. Exactly. Yeah, and I think with my example, I made it seem like you had it easy. That's not that no, no, I didn't feel that. Yeah, Um, and then uh, and also uh, another asterisk. I'm not meaning to say that the millennial generation should just take it easy and like, well, if they want, you know, if if they can come to us, exactly, exactly. I just think uh, everyone is responsible for themselves. So if uh, the responsibility lies on on both ends, I just don't know how likely it is. I would agree with that, and I would say the principle that I believe is that the mature serves the immature Hmm. you you would never expect the immature to serve the mature right that's right the child doesn't serve the parent the parent moves toward the child until those roles reverse 
later, later, later in life. Yeah. So, um, and I don't mean that millennials are children. I just mean that we, the, the older generations, we control more assets. We have, you know, uh, more experience, whatever. So, and we certainly would view ourselves as the more mature generation, mm-hmm. um, whether that's accurate or not, you know, it's accurate in years, but is it sure. accurate in wisdom and whatever? But the point is we should move toward. So that would lead to what I would say to the younger generation. Yeah, go for it. Which is um, you want us to move toward you. And I think that's accurate and smart and wise. Likewise, then, um, as you want older generations to um, appreciate your challenges and your ambitions and your heart and, you know, all that. Mm-hmm. um I would. I think the way I would word this is um, slow down. Hmm. Um, we're not antiquated yet. You don't need our seat at the table yet. Sure. And you really, you really can get there if you just be patient. Um, because That's good I, advice. my my generation feels like they think we're as stupid as a box of rocks. Yeah. Because I can't do with technology what you can do with technology. Because I because I'm not a digital, um, we feel like we are viewed as idiots, mm. and that maybe we, you don't have the respect that you've you've earned with with the right. the knowledge that you have and the experience right. that you have. And so, um, you know, the things that we have been through really have informed us, mm-hmm. and they are valuable. I know that particularly people who retire feel like. 22 seconds after their last day of work, (laughs) nobody gives a rip what they think anymore. And they might've been an industry leader in a particular area, but now that they're retired, nobody calls them. Nobody asks their opinion. Nobody cares. I believe it. And so, um, that at that, that, um, considering some, someone of value who's different, would be probably the same answer for both generations. You know, look that sure. way and say, man, there's value there. Um, I believe that the secret sauce to the future of the church is going to be intergenerational relationships. Hmm. And that if we don't, and this is the onus is on my generation to, to move this, just as you mentioned, you know, move toward us. Um, if we don't do that, then we are a generation away from Christianity becoming virtually extinct Hmm. because that has to be reproduced. It has to be fathered. It has to be nurtured. It has to be um, gifted and equipped. Mm -hmm. And because of this gap, it's harder and harder to do that. Yeah, that makes total sense. I think um, the, the slowing down should definitely be internalized by my generation and and a lot of this i was kind of concerned going into this that i i have a lot of old man views mm. and uh, one of them is that is that um uh and this is you might assume i would think this because of my uh pace but time it things take a while you know in general <laughs> so uh just just letting things breathe for a bit yeah um but yeah i think that's great and especially with the church 
the early church seemed to be extraordinarily extra or, or um, intergenerational. Well, you had an era where, you know, a person's career was going to be their dad's career mm-hmm. and his career was yeah. his dad's and it was career. Cra- just craftsmanship. And, yeah. And, yeah. and you apprentice with that. You build your own house. You mm-hmm. live on the same piece of property with homes all around it. I mean, it was now that we live all over the country and we spread around. It's just there's a whole lot that's changed. Yeah. Well, this has been fun. John, thanks for the, another great conversation. And Yeah, I think this might have been the most tension we've had so far in the in the <laughs> series. <laughs> but uh, I think it might be boring if all we do is just agree. Well, there will be more tension to come when we start talking about can a Christian watch Game of Thrones? Because, John, I can't stand some of the stuff you watch. What? Yeah, that's just because you don't like the genre. That's not because <laughs> of moral objection. Well, we'll see. We'll get there. We'll talk about it. Anyway, thanks for listening in today. And, uh, man, follow us. Uh, go to JimandJohn.com. No H in the John. Never uh, an H in the John. Never an H in the John. And um, we hope you'll listen in next week. Thanks for listening.